Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What is up, everybody? This is Joe McCall, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Got a good friend, Sean McCloskey, with me on the line here. And we're going to be talking about the importance of having a vision for your business. And this is something you've probably not thought of before, but it's really, really important. And, you know, we all know we need to have a vision for our life, you know, I mean, we've crafted goals for our life and what we want our, our life to look like. But <clears throat> none of us have really set apart time to say, what do I want my business to look like? And does my business actually fit in the vision for my life as well, right? And so Sean has an event coming up in a few weeks called the Business Vision Workshop. And I've got a link for it right here, businessvisionworkshop.com. This isn't a pitch for the workshop. I want to interview Sean here on this podcast and talk to him about it. But in case you don't listen to this podcast all the way through to the end, I want to make sure you go here right now, businessvisionworkshop.com. It's a workshop that's coming up in March, about a couple months from as we're recording this right now here in the beautiful, warm, sunny vacation state of St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> right? That's right. Bring your flip-flops and your Hawaiian shirt and you'll feel right at home. <laughs> so, so, uh uh, when What are the dates, Sean? March 12th through 14th in St. Louis, where it's average temperature is 84 degrees all year long. Yep. <laughs> and we're going to go to the beach and go surfing during the breaks. That's right. I'm in the uh, in the river right across from where the event is. <laughs> I put it right here. Uh, businessvisionworkshop.com, March 12th through 14th. And I don't get anything right now from giving you that link. I just want you all to go check it out and see what it's about. And we're going to be talking about this on this podcast right now businessvisionworkshop.com, March 12th through 14th, all right? So real quick, guys, if you listen to this on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Apple, Google Play or whatever, right? I really appreciate it. And I want to ask you to subscribe to the show, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you listen to this, let us know what you like about the show, even what you don't like. And leave us a review, subscribe. We'd really, really appreciate it. That helps us with the rankings. I think I have, Sean, 528 reviews right now on Apple Podcasts, which is crazy. Not as much as like some of the guys at Bigger Pockets or whatnot. They have an awesome show, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I love seeing those reviews. I read every one of them. I appreciate you guys doing that. That's I've great. also been seeing in the last six months or so uh, an increase in the rankings in, in Apple Podcasts. So I appreciate that as well. Um, this is a labor of love. I really love doing this. And all I ask is you subscribe to the podcast, leave a review. Um, also, as we're recording this, I'm broadcasting this live right now on YouTube and Facebook. And so if you want to, like here, we got a comment here from Daniel. Hey, Joe McCall, what's going on? And uh, so <laughs> you can type in comments in Facebook and YouTube as you're watching this live right now. And I will pop them up here. So as you're watching this, just say hi, tell us where you're from. And if you've got any questions for Shawnee Mac right here, his name is Sean McCloskey, <laughs> but he typed in Shawnee Mac because he thought it'd be funny. I didn't know that was going to show up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so but if you've got any questions about this, type them in the comments of Facebook and YouTube, and I'll pop them up here and show them to you. And uh, we can talk, we can ask Sean uh, any question that's clean and not rude and polite. <laughs> we'll ask yeah, I doubt, I doubt all of that. <laughs> in fact, know some of the friends that we have, Sean, um, there's probably someone here that's going to type in a question that would be a little inappropriate. But Slightly. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Won't be the first time. Yeah. See, like Bobby, this is nice. Uh, hi, guys. That's good. So those kinds of questions you can ask. All right. Sean, how you doing, man? We go back. I mean, you were, let me give you a little introduction to Sean too, guys. Sean was, I was getting started in real estate. Going to the local real estate clubs, I think at the time it was called the Win Group. Yeah, Wealth Improvement Network. Wealth Improvement Network here in St. Louis. And Sean was teaching, we was doing a ton of wholesales. I mean, uh, short sales. Doing a ton of short sales and was starting to teach this stuff. And uh, back then there was a website called flippinghomes.com. It was kind of like the huge, it was the bigger pockets back then, 1900s. <laughs> I guess it wasn't the 1900s, was it? It was, it was the early 2000s. Yep. It was early 2000s. Yeah. 
So anyway, it was a popular site. And so Sean became friends with the guys who ran that uh, website, flippinghomes.com. And uh, he started going around the country teaching, teaching people how to do short sales. And he also had a brokerage. And I was trying to do real estate. My wife got her license and we hung our license with Sean and his brokerage. And he, he tells the story a lot of all these realtors that he had under him and how much work it was causing. And then he decided to stop doing the brokerage. And he was worried about his, his clients that were under him in that brokerage, you know, paying for further coaching. And I was one of those ones that stuck around. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you whatever it was at the time to, to be able to go to your, your office and get some coaching and help and partner with you on deals. And so Sean's been a friend and a coach for me since 2007. Yeah. You were my first batch of the fresh meat that I started working with back then. It was it's cr- crazy to think that was 13 years ago, isn't it? 13 years ago. Wow. Damn. I remember like coming down to your office and I was like, oh man, this guy has an office in a strip. I must be successful. <laughs> he must be. Of course, you don't realize how much I was paying for all that garbage that I didn't need back then. No, which I, I'll talk I, about today. Yo, that's another story I'm sure you'll talk about at the workshop. Like, you know, your overhead was crazy and you were, you had to make like 30, 40 grand a month, which actually isn't that bad now, but like you had to make, <laughs> you had to make 30 something grand a month just to pay the bills and break even, you know? Yep. And, it's and that was 13 story. years ago when I was only 20 years old. So, you know, it's different now, but <laughs> How old you were you? only, I think 45 back then. So, it, you know, that might not have seemed bad for you. <laughs> I think Joe and I should mention have this this relationship where we just sling poop at each other all the time and just have a lot of fun doing it. So for I've me, been so nice. <laughs> I know, but I know it's coming, so I had to just start it early. You know, <laughs> I love right. you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I so I've known Sean for a long time. When I first wanted to, uh, he helped me do some deals. He helped me buy some bad deals that I lost a lot of money on too. But um, we won't talk about that. No, but he helped me do some deals. <laughs> kind of. I, uh, there's a little truth to every joke, though. So, there, so here's the deal. So, so you know, back then it was 2007, man. And if you remember what happened in 2007, we had this market crash and everything changed literally overnight, overnight. when the mortgage industry failed and everything. I mean, we all had some. Here I was just a new coach back then. And we all had some major growing pains to learn through. And thank God. At the time I was doing short sales because that got better actually as the market crashed, but it didn't happen like that for everybody. And properties were taking longer to sell. And you combine that with the fact that I wasn't designing my business the way that I wanted to design it. I was designing it the way other people told me to design it. So you combine high expenses and high overhead with business kind of going down a little bit and all, all of these factors, man. Oh my gosh. It's been a, it's been a crazy ride since that time, but hopefully today we'll, we'll get to some stuff that I'll share with you guys so that when the next crash happens, you're not so concerned about it because it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was a very interesting time in the market. So fast forward a few years, I quit my job, still t- stay in touch with Sean and uh, we've been good friends. We actually live just five minutes apart from each other. Now he lives down the street. And I was going to say something else, like making fun of, uh, but anyway, I'll stop that. So, uh, uh, so now we're good friends and he's doing this workshop about creating a vision for your business. And I'm glad you're here, Sean. Thank you for having me. Yeah, cool. All right. So give a little backdrop. Why are you doing this event and what's it going to be all about? All right. So the reality is, is that when I, you know, I speak all over the country and when I go ask entrepreneurs, um, specifically real estate investors, but this is all entrepreneurs. I'll, I'll ask them, have you ever done a business plan for your business? And almost every hand in the room has gone up. Yeah, yeah, I've done a business plan at some point. And I say, okay, have you, have you got a life plan? And very few hands go up because they're so busy trying to build the business that they don't, they say, well, I'll worry about life stuff later because, you know, one day when I make a bunch of money, then I'll have a great life. And then I ask, okay, do you have just a business plan or where, how did you craft the business plan? Was it crafted with the idea of making the most money or did it stem from your own business vision? So as corny as that sounds, very few people do this. I was in a room of 200 people, like 200, uh, I'm sorry, two weeks ago in Ohio. And I said, how many of you have ever gone through a business vision process where you're making your decisions, not just from the perspective of how much makes the, the most money, that's important, but from the things that really energize you and the things that kind of get you up out of bed versus you having to get up out of bed. And, you know, and I asked, 
it's so interesting. I was as I was researching this more and more over the years. Uh, Inc. Magazine did a study just last year that said that eighty five percent, eighty five percent people either running their own business or in corporate America today who have jobs don't like what they're doing. Eighty five percent. And then you mix that up with the statistic that says that, you know, here we are just in February now, and all these people do these New Year's resolutions for their business and personal life and so on. And then I, so I read another study by them said 93% of those New Year's resolutions aren't accomplished. They're given up on by the end of January. So there's a very big difference between a business plan and a business vision. And so that's what I teach now. So I have the privilege today of coaching. Uh, well, Joe, you're in my one of my coaching and mastermind groups. Yeah, I forgot I, to I, talk I, about that. Leadership boardroom is the main thing you're doing now, which is, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing group of entrepreneurs and business people. And this is a process we go through all the time in that group. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about this because we're taking now, Sean's going to be taking what we get in, in the little small mastermind group and is actually going to be doing it now to several hundred people in one room, which is going to, it's going to be awesome. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Which actually is not very easy to do. So I've, I've done this in a one-on-one setting because I have three groups of 15 people that I coach and we, we run masterminds together with a few times a year. And so Joe's in group one, for example. And so when I'm sitting down with somebody one-on-one, I extract from them typically what their vision is. And it's most oftentimes their vision is very, very different than what they're actually doing today. Uh, and there's pieces of it that are usually in alignment. But a lot of times when I say, you know, what would you do if you could do anything on a daily basis? What would juice you the most? And then I'll follow that up with, you know, once that's answered and figured out, I'll follow that up with what percentage of your time right now do you spend doing those things that you say drive you and get you out of bed versus doing the other things that you just have to do because they're in a part of business? The answer is usually between 5 and 10% if people respond to me. Only 5 to 10% of my time is spent doing what I'm really passionate about. And the other 90 or 95% is doing all the garbage that I have to do or at least I think I have to do. And that's just not true. It's just that when we're, when we're basing... I, I like to base all my decisions today off of my business vision. And when I don't, I'm in for some trouble. Because when I start evaluating what am I going to do next based on what I think is going to make the most money, that's a great filter to have. But it should never be the first filter. Because the first filter should be the bu- business vision. And then I should say, okay, is this something that's a profitable idea? Should it be thrown down the list a few ideas? Because most investors, by the way, especially real estate investors, are trying to build five, six, ten different businesses at once. And then believe me when I say this, not a first anyway, but listen, wholesaling, rehabbing, lease options, short sales, uh, rentals, apartments, all of these things are different businesses in and of themselves. They require different marketing arms and different customer service and different ways to get customers and all the things that goes into getting a business. But people say, well, I'm in the real estate business. And then they try to lump all 10 of those things in with one. And I'll tell you, those are the people who are the least successful, actually. But they're making decisions based off, well, this is going to make me the most long-term money. And this is going to make me the most short-term money. And you know, I have to do these because these deals are falling in my lap. And that's not necessarily true. It's what most people believe. But by believing that, they become sort of the the person who's pretty good at lots of things, and they're the master of nothing. And their finances typically show it. I I can still relate. And this is something that I... I think every it's important everybody to go through this this process at least once a year. Yeah. It's because it's so easy as an entrepreneur. I mean, they say the definition of an entrepreneur is somebody that finds something that works, does it for a little bit, stops doing it, and then does something else. That's, right? Right. That's me to a T. Or yeah. they work super hard just so they don't have to work 40 hours a week. They work 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40 hours a week, right? That's right. Um, you know what, Joe? Check this out. I polled my audience a couple of weeks ago when I was in Ohio. Those two roughly 200 people in the room. And I said, how many of you in the audience here work 40 hours a week or more? Every hand went up except for two or three hands out of 200. So 1% of people, 2% of people weren't working more than four. I said, how about 50 hours a week or more? Most of the hands still stayed up. I said, 60 hours a week or more. It, it was crazy how many hands were still up. And I said, look, here's a perfect example of you guys. Where, where did you decide that you need to work 50, 60 hours a week? I know it's a popular message on Facebook and everywhere else today. You know, you got all these national gurus who are saying, you know, one guy even has the motto, work your face off, which is stupid. But it's a popular message to say the only way to get ahead is to grind. 
and to work your face off and to do all these things. That's not true. And who gave you that vision in the first place? You know, I, I informed them that vision didn't even come from where did the 40 hour work week even come from. It didn't come from you. It's a hundred years old. And back when it was introduced, it was not common knowledge at all. Henry Ford came up with the 40 hour work week. He said, look, we have this plant, we're making vehicles, we're selling more vehicles than we can make by people coming in and working. And so we need to really double or triple the impact the plant is making, but we don't have the money to go build a second and third plant. So what did he do? He said, let's break up a 24-hour day into three shifts, eight hours each. And we're never going to get people to work, you know, on weekends, perhaps, but we can get them to work three different shifts, eight hours each. And the 40-hour work week was born. And here we are, we embrace this today as the minimum that you should work without feeling late easy, right? And uh, if you don't work at least 40 hours, of course, that's, I mean, it even takes 36 to 40 hours a week to get benefits at a job. And so that's embraced now as the norm. But whose vision are you living? Are you living yours? Or are you living Henry Ford's from 100 friggin' years ago? You know, you don't have to do that. I coach people now here. Well, you know, Jason Roberts, for example, you know, he's got a multi-million dollar business. He works from 10 to 2 every day, five days a week. And that's it. He doesn't go in till 10 and he knows he has to be finished by two because he has to be meeting his gym partner at 2.30. He's also and really lazy. <laughs> Which is the norm to call a guy like that lazy, you know? Well, he but, is. But he's he's he's, he's a effectively lazy. Mutual friend. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, you know, you could call him lazy or you could call him effective and he knows where his priorities are and he knows what his vision looks like and so on. And, yeah. and uh, it's not easy to do, but everybody can do it. Just nobody does it. That's so crazy. Like, I'm so sick of the hustle that we hear about all the time now. It's a badge of honor that I'm hustling. It's rampant. The guys that are hustling, all they're doing all day, I don't know what else they're doing. They're just on their phone taking pictures of themselves and, and posting on Instagram and Facebook. This is what got me so pumped. So if you remember back when I first started coaching, one of the guys in our first group that really embraced me, me teaching him how to run a business was a guy named Jeremy. And Jeremy made right at a half a million bucks his first year in business as my coaching students. So I was pretty proud of that until second year, he got a divorce and it's like, Whoa, what's going on here? What, what happened now? The divorce wasn't only because he was working all the time, but I'll tell you that it didn't help at all. You know, when a guy is focused more on his business than he is on his own family and his wife, that can't lead to anything good. And so I can't tell you how many business owners that I talk to that are married and their wife feels like their second place or even women with their men, you know, their spouse feels like their second place that the business always comes first and they put their family and everything else second. And so today I'm, I happen to be fairly passionate about trying to help people avoid that because that's the last thing I wanted to do is be a coach who helped somebody have a great business at the expense of everything else. A matter of fact, to the point where I almost quit coaching back then. But in order for me to be able to coach effectively, I had to say, well, wait a second, let's take a hard look at who Jeremy's learning from. He's learning from me. And I was going down the same path. And I, who I learned that from? I got my vision from the coach teaching me, a guy named Chris Kirshner years ago, who, by the way, also made more money than anybody I've ever seen ever and lost his family. His wife called him up on the day that he made more money than he ever made in his life, 950 grand. He made an hour and his wife called him up and said, I'm leaving you. I'm taking our son with us. He doesn't know you. He doesn't want a relationship with you. You All you do is work. You don't take days off anymore. And you know, he's like, wait a minute, I'm doing this all for you. And she's like, really, did you ask us what we want? So that hustle message is garbage. And I don't mind hustling. I don't want to hustle 80 hours a week. So when I work today, I'm very laser focused. And I'm very effective. But I work during the hours that make sense according to my vision. If I were making decisions just based on what's going to make me the most money, however, which is what most people do, you'll go and you'll maybe, maybe misalign what you're working with, with what you said is important to you. And you're going to have problems. It may not show up right now, but you'll, you'll have problems eventually. And so, you know, younger people hear this and they go, no, you don't understand. I'll just, I'll just do this for a little while. Look, if you're going to do it, you want to give yourself a challenge. Anybody can build a business working 80 hours a week. You want to have a great challenge. Do it in a way that honors everything that you want in life, not just your ability to go hard, work hard and hustle more than anybody else. That's just ridiculous. You took, was it a month or two off a year ago? I took more than three months off, closer to four, but that's because we took multiple trips. But uh, yeah, one of them was a four and a half week RV trip that we took all over the country. You know, and honestly, man, I got some of that from you. I watched you do that where you took a few months and went up and down the coast of California and the, the West Coast and all that stuff. Then you went to Prague and all this. So, you know, that, which brings up another important point about living your vision. You will become the vision of the people that you surround yourself with because that's what's possible to you. Good point. When I saw Joe do it a few years ago, I was like, wait a second why can't I do this? And I thought, I don't, I don't know how to do that yet. 
But I wrote it down in my business vision. I said, I'm going to create my business in a way that allows me to leave for a month at a time and not work while I'm gone. And that's exactly what we did last year. We took almost five weeks, went to Yellowstone and Utah, and we saw Glacier National Park and all these really amazing places the entire time. I'm, now, here's what most entrepreneurs do. They schedule something like that. And then guess what? They work the whole time they're gone. That's not a trip. It's working remotely, right? On this trip, now, I wrote this in my business vision. I didn't know how I was going to pull it off when I wrote it down a few years ago, but I began to build my business in a way that could do that. And sure enough, in the, in the four and a half, five weeks or whatever that we were gone on our trip, took two phone calls. That's it. No email, no nothing else. Two business phone calls while we were gone. And if I'm being honest, it's because my coaching students are such good friends of mine. They were in a dilemma and I wanted to answer the call. It's not because I had to. They knew I was gone. So that, that takes some prep. It takes getting things out of your head in writing, which is why I'm inviting people to come to the workshop. We're going to spend three days doing this in the room. That's why it's a workshop. It's not just a seminar. And as, as simple as this sounds, there's a whole process to it. I will tell you the 99.9% .9 of even quote successful business owners I know have never done this before. Not, not this way. And But you got to get it out of your head. You got to get it in writing. You got to get in writing. And I will add too, with this going to Europe stuff, I wanted to work because I would go crazy if I didn't do any work all day, but I still only worked a couple, three hours a day max. <laughs> and and the cool thing about traveling and going overseas, if anybody's thinking about it is because of the time zone difference, you're forced. You can only work yeah. like two or three hours a day because you only have that little window yep. and it really forces you to, and this is what I'm, the whole point of all of this, it forces you to ask bigger questions. Like, all right, this is what I want my life to look like. And how can I, because most of us have, and we've talked about this a lot, you know, most of us have our business or our job in the center of everything. And then our life fits in around that. Yes. What if we reverse it, have our vision for our life here in the center, and then design a business that fits that, that fills in the gaps, right? And that's what this workshop is really about. So that's what I did. I said, all right, I want to go, we homeschool. Well, we want to travel with our kids and see the world. How can we do that? Well, we want to homeschool our kids, right? So that's kind of important if you want to travel for three, four months at a time. And then I want I want a virtual, I want a business where I can manage it from a cell phone and from a laptop with internet connection, right? I don't want a bunch of paperwork and, and filing cabinets and all of that stuff. So I started thinking differently about the kinds of deals, the kind of business that I could do that would allow me to do that. And yeah. it all started with the vision. Yep. Important. And, you know, you bring up a good point about the personal side of things. We're not going to focus on that at this particular event. We're going to talk about all business at this one because, I mean, they're completely two separate, really, events, really. But this one, we're going to focus on business. You know, how do you build that? And there's really four steps to build. Can I, can I go into these four steps real quick? There's really four steps to doing this. And so if I could sum up the three full days in four steps, it would be this. First step is always create the vision and get it out of your head. And I know that sounds simple, but this is going to take us the whole first day to do it. Because when I do this with people, I found that there's actually three types of people. I started looking at how some larger corporations build the visions for their company. I looked into Disney. And this blew my mind. Disney has three pieces of their entire organization that you work in, and you only work in one of the three. So you are either, the first category is called an Imagineer. That's what Disney called it. It's basically a visionary. You know, these are the people who think of really, really great ideas. They think of new rides for the theme park. They think of ways to make the theme park better. Movie stuff characters. They think of the dresses and the, and how the characters are, and they come up with scripts, and all these fun things, right? And when they're finished, they hand it off to department number two. Department number two is called the engineers. And you know, I know you've got some engineering background, Joe. So these are the people who figure out, okay, how do we take the idea that the engineering department just gave us and how they design that so that it can be implemented? They ask questions like, okay, you know, that's great, Imagineer, that you have an idea for a roller coaster that will fly through the theme park suspended from nothing, but is that humanly possible? And so they say yes to certain things. They say no to certain things. If something's a yes, then they design it and, and go from there. When they're done designing it, they hand that idea. Remember, now it's gone from the Imagineering to the Engineering. It's passed there. Then they hand it to the Implementation Department, which is the third department. And that department is what implements the ideas that have already been pre-screened and figured out how they're going to do it. And the implementers are the actors in the movies or the actresses in the movies. They are the people who work in the theme parks. They're the people who are actually building the roller coaster. Those are the implementers, right? And when you look at that and you see how Disney does it, I mean, there's, there's a reason they have 80,000 employees today. 
I was just sharing this uh, a couple weeks ago when I spoke. And one of the guys in the audience says, he jumps up and he goes, I worked at Disney for 20 years. And he goes, it's exactly like that. And he goes, not everybody at Disney even knows which department they work in, but they work in a department. And he said, you know what's crazy about that? He said, the departments were never, ever, ever allowed to talk to each other. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Why is that? And he goes, well, think about this for a second. If the, all of the, I want you to imagine that you're having a meeting and there's 10 Imagineers in the room and there are 10 engineers in the room and all the Imagineers are coming up with all their crazy ideas, you know, let's do this. What would the engineers be doing while the Imagineers are trying to come up with their ideas? What do you think? They'll be throwing, nah, you can't do that. That's stupid. Yeah. Or how are we going to pull that off or whatever? So now what would happen if the Imagineers heard this from the engineers, you know, 10, 15, 20 times during a meeting? What would happen to their creativity after a little while? Well, they'd get discouraged, you know, and, uh, and they, it, would, it would stifle their uh, creativity. And yet we do this in our business every day, especially the smaller real estate investor who's kind of running the whole ship by themselves, right? Because there's times when it's appropriate to be a dreamer and there's times when it's appropriate to figure out how we're going to pull it off. And then there's times where it's appropriate to pull it off. And what I found is every person is usually calls one of these three places home for them. It's where they excel the most, right? So the people who are visionaries usually don't implement much at all, right? They're the dreamers who people are like, okay, you got great ideas, but you never get anything done, right? And the people who are the great designers, the great engineers, you know, they, they, they can have good ideas, but that's not their area of gifting. They can usually figure out how to pull stuff off, right? And, and every person, so... You know, when this guy was sharing with me, he said, they're not allowed to talk to each other. It's grounds for termination at Disney. Really? So the Imagineers are not allowed to share any ideas with the engineering department until they have themselves crafted up the ideas and said, this is really what we want it to look like. Then they hand it off. And so this is really important. That's why it takes us a full day to go through vision. Because quite frankly, some people, I can ask them some questions and it comes right out of them. The visionaries, man, if I ask the right questions, they can answer them appropriately. We get their vision done in an hour or two. But somebody who is a, uh, an engineer or an implementer, I have to go a little bit deeper, ask a little bit different questions. And we're going to do some really cool stuff as a group. And I'm actually bringing in 12 other speakers to co-teach this with me. So I'm bringing in the visionary who says, this is how I do it. I'm bringing in an engineer who says, this is how I do it. And an implementer who says, this is what I needed help with and so on. And that's how we're going to do it. We're going to get there in a workshop. But that's only step one. That's just the That's just getting out of your head what would be really cool which yeah. doesn't really get you anywhere, right? So after you're done with step number one, you got to move on to step number two. Step number two is, I call it know thyself. Know thyself. Know thyself. And it sounds cheesy, but what I mean by that is you need to know who you are and where you best fit. Know thyself incorporates you and it incorporates anybody who's on your team or if you don't have a team right now, who you would want on your team, if you could have anybody on your team. It means knowing who you are, making sure you're in the right seat on the right bus. For example, you know, there's every year you see all these crazy people on American Idol, right? And they have this crazy dream. It's like, I'm, I'm going to be a singer. And, you know, they're passionate about it. Which, by the way, the worst advice you can give somebody, follow your passion. That's just what you should do. No, what if you suck at your passion? Have you seen the first episode of American Idol every year? Yeah. Most of them suck. They're horrible at their passion. They're not going to make any money at it, but they're passionate about it. That's called a hobby. In order to turn that into a business, it's got to have four components to it, which I won't go into all the details right now. But if you guys want, look up when we get off this call, look up a word called Ikagai, I-K-A-G-A-I. Look it up on YouTube or just in Google Images and you'll see what I'm talking about. You've got to incorporate your business into, yes, what you love, which is what you're passionate about. It's got to be what the world needs. You got to be able to make money at it, right? And you got to be actually really good at it. You can't just be passionate and not be good at it. Otherwise, you don't have a business. And so all of those are the components of knowing thyself. And we use, we actually use, um, there's one personnel profiling tool that we use from a company called Humanlytics. And I'm actually having Humanlytics come out to the events to teach about a three-hour segment. That's how important this is. But it's basically a personality profiling test and system. It's, it's one of only two in the world that are EEOC compliant, which means it's one of only two in the world that you can legally hire and legally fire people because it's so accurate. For those of you that have heard of like disk tests and strengths finders and all that, those are good tools. 
but you cannot hire and fire with them. You will get sued and you will lose. This one you can hire and fire with legally because it's that effective. I've, I think they said it was 99.6% accurate. So what that means is I need to know myself well enough two ways. I can take personality profiles. I can decide some of that myself. And the third way is I need to hear from others what I'm really good at. And so we use predictive index. We use a process called the unique genius zone. And we we literally, we ask other people, what are we good at? So we can build a business around what we're good at. So for example, Joe, I know, you know, you are really, really good at technology. You're one of the best I know in that department. You know how to, every time I have a technological question, I can call Joe, he answers the question. He knows exactly where to go. What to, he loves that. And he uses technology in his business for a lot of what he does. Now, what Joe doesn't love and he could do, you can do sales, but you don't necessarily love the sales part of your business, but you've put people in place to help you with this. And so if I was to put Joe, for example, in a sales position where that's what he did eight hours a day, he might be able to do it for a short period of time. But eventually, you know, you're going to get burned out. Eventually, you know, you're going to go, man, this, even if you're making a lot of money, you're not going to be fulfilled and you're going to have this struggle where it's like, I don't want to quit. And this is by, this is where many entrepreneurs are today. I can't quit what I'm doing because it makes really good money. I'm not fulfilled by it anymore, or you know, maybe never even was, but I can't stop doing it because it's lucrative. Or the opposite of that, by the way, is I keep trying to do these things that I'm not good at, by the way, and it's not working. And I don't know why it's not working because it's working for Joe and Henry and Sarah over here. Why can't I just be as smart as them? It may not be your area of gifting. And so you need to know yourself and know your team well enough to know how to put people in the right seats on the right bus in the right place. When you are, here's what I will tell you. There's no more grinding. Work doesn't feel like work. When you are doing what you are built to do, you don't even feel like you work anymore, which is the beautiful thing about it. I have my business today designed in a way I literally only have to work three days a month. That's all the obligations I have to my business. Now, most months I work more than three days out of choice because I love it. I don't feel like I'm working anymore. I get to coach high-level entrepreneurs. I get to work with them, help them strategize and figure out how to fix their problems. And I'd like to think over the years, I've gotten at least decent at it, right? Or at least that's the feedback I get. And so I've built a business around that because that's what I love doing the most. I, mean, I am passionate about it. The world needs it. It can make money and all those things. But when I do it, I don't feel like I'm working. And because of that, it, whether I work three days this month or the whole month, I love every second of it. But the point of that is my business vision says I'm not, I don't have to operate at that high level, you know, 14 hours a day, five, six days a week, which is what most entrepreneurs have to work to run their business. Yeah. That's I've been good. yapping. Does this make sense? Oh, that's really good. And, and, you know, one vision, one person's visions may not be your vision either as well, right? Like, hundred um, percent. Because like, I've tried this so many times. I see something that somebody else is doing and I think, oh man, that's awesome. That's cool. And then I go out and I try to implement it and do it myself and realize, oh man, that sucks. I'm not good at that. Yes. It's because because I wasn't clear on what my vision is. And uh, you do an exercise that's really good where you, you, I wanted to ask you about this. And then I want you to talk about what we're covering on the other couple of days. By the way, I'm going to be here at the workshop. This is a workshop that, uh, I'm going to be at businessvisionworkshop.com, March 12th through 14th. It's going to be here in St. Louis. And uh, I th- I think you, didn't you ask me to speak or maybe you didn't? Maybe I shouldn't say that. No. Are you speaking? No, of course I did. <laughs> yes. right, I think I am speaking. I yeah. <laughs> I yeah. And so we actually have, we, we have 12 different speakers coming in for this. And, and the first time I said that, somebody goes, oh, let me guess. They're all going to be like, it's a big pitch-a-thon. They're selling stuff the whole time. No, how we're doing this, I'm having uh, my company's called Leadership Boardroom, where I coach high level business owners around the country. A lot of them are national speakers. Some people have larger coaching programs around the country. They are all minimum six figure earners. A lot of them are seven, eight figure earners. They are all coming in to co teach this event for me on their own dime. They're paying for their own flights, their own hotel. None of them are being paid, and none of them are allowed to pitch. And you might think, why would they do that? Well, because I have taken nine. Well, I should say, I'm sorry, 11 out of 12 of them, I have personally taken through this process and they have benefited from it. And so they're passionate enough about the results they've gotten that they're dying to share it with you guys too. So they're coming out of the goodness of their hearts and they want to make an impact too. The 12th person I should mention has not gone through this process, but he's my mentor (laughs) or one of them. And I have spent uh, the last couple of years coaching with this guy. So I'm actually going through his process, which is slightly different than mine, but still very effective. But to give you an idea who he is, the International Department of 
him for wisdom on how to run the Department of Defense. So that gives you an idea of the caliber of people that are going to be there. It's really good stuff. Well, good. All right. So um, at the workshop, one of the things you have everybody do is like if your business burnt down completely and you had to start from yes. scratch, yep. money wasn't an object, wasn't a concern. What would you do? Talk about that question and that exercise that you. you yeah. Took. Well, so okay. Good. So the reason we started doing that, you, Joe, you were with me when I discovered that process. Joe and I were in a meeting one time in North Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. And we were with uh, a guy named Larry Goins, who I love to death. Some of you probably know him. He's a national speaker. He's just a brilliant guy. And his right hand in his business is named Candace. And Candace is unbelievable, too, for very different reasons than Larry. But Larry is very much a visionary. Candace is sort of a mixture between the engineer and the implementer. She's really an implementer. She implements everything, but she's great at overseeing the operation, too. And so we were having a conversation with them about vision. They were doing a ridiculous amount of business, but it was all being done, if I remember correctly. Actually, they're speaking at the event, too. If I remember correctly, they had what was it, Joe, like 13, 14 different businesses that they were basically running? I don't remember the number, lot. but it was a lot, yeah. And so, you know, the, the challenge that we were there to help them with, and, and Joe came with me along with another guy named Ron Phillips uh, so that we could help Larry and Candace. The challenge they had was, you know, man, we're just working so hard. We're working a lot of hours. We're working so hard and things aren't going bad, but we can't really get off this hamster wheel. And what do we do? And so we were looking at everything and, and we were having a hard time figuring out how to help them because quite frankly, everything was going pretty good, but they weren't happy. They weren't fulfilled. They were working way too many hours. They're worn out. They're exhausted. And it's like, how do you fix this? Well, you know, collectively the room decided, well, if, if that's the case, you know, you can try to hire everything out to your heart's content, but that's not always the solution. They tried that and then they had some incompetent employees and, they, you know, people just didn't do it the same way. But we finally decided they had too much going on. Something's got to go. Like you can't be the best of the best of the best at 14 different companies, certainly not when you're doing two things, not when you're growing all 14 at once. And the second caveat is not when you're the owner operator of all of these at once. Right. So you, people hear this all the time. They go, well, Richard Branson has 86 companies. Yeah. He's not the owner operator of them. He might invest in them. He might go to board meetings once a year, but he's not operating in them every single day. And Candace and, and Larry were operating in the, these 14 businesses every single day. And so we thought, well, something's got to go. Well, then the question came up of what's got to go. And you might feel this in your own business. If you're too busy, I will tell you, you're either ineffective in your scheduling or you're working on too much. And it's probably a combination of both. But they were effective. They just had too much going on. So it's like, what do we cut? Well, we can't cut this piece of the business because this, they were all real estate related. You know, I got a coaching business. I've got a, I've got a, I sell courses. We do events. I flip houses. I flip these kinds of houses. I have a rental portfolio. We have a hard money lending business. All these different businesses that are businesses in and of themselves. And they go, well, we don't want to cut anything because, you know, when we, we have a RIA business and the RIA helps to fund the funding company. So when we do hard money loans through the RIA and, and, you know, we do, we, sometimes we're able to sell courses through the radio show and, and we're able to get coaching students by traveling around the country, speaking and all these things. We don't want to give up any of it. And it's like, okay, well, if you do rehabs, there's times when you need kitchen sinks. So maybe you should go open a Home Depot too. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Why do you need everything that you have to sustain what you have? And it's like, you couldn't get rid of anything because now there's like, think about it for a second. The visionary kept clashing with the engineer. It's like, okay, we know we need to do something different, be smaller, but the engineer's going, but then you're going to have to fire your staff. Then we're going to, I love these people. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get rid of this thing. I worked long and hard on creating these courses and all the, it's like, okay, wait, hold on a second. Let's do this. I want you to imagine that you are burning everything down. Everything that you have right now is burned to the ground. It's gone. You have no staff. There is no Candace. There is, you know, and for each of them, I said, Larry, there is no Candace. Candace, there is no Larry. I said, I want you guys to burn it all to the ground. You have nothing. No courses, no travel schedule, nothing. What would and you no, create? And no expenses either. Like, yeah, scratch. That was the important caveat to this because they, the first thing Larry did when I said this is like, we got to generate some revenue. And I said, hold on a second. That's the engineer for trying to figure out how am I going to make money? Let's stay as a visionary for just a second. Let's burn it down. But I'm going to give you this caveat. Let's pretend like finances are not a challenge. Now, you're not wealthy beyond all means, but let's just pretend like your expenses are paid. You're totally fine. Nothing bad's going to happen anytime soon. What would you create then? And he was like, wow, 
I've never thought of it like that. And he said, really, I would do three things. He said, one, I would, uh, really four things, but three of them are only the things he did. He said, I love it, it, teaching. Like, it only took him a few seconds to come up. Yes. Yeah. He goes, I would teach. I love teaching. I love seeing the success of my students. I really get a kick out of this. Like I get a drive that kind of you know, gets him up and going. And I said, okay, so you would teach. And I said, what else? And he goes, well, I would still do deals. And I, I said, okay, what else? I don't remember what the third thing was at the moment, but it was a third thing. Oh, it was his wife's hard money lending business. Yes. He said, I will still have her in the hard money lending business. She loves it. He goes, but I just wouldn't actively be a part of it. I would just be sort of an advisor to her and she could run that business. I mean, if you're saying I could do anything I want, that's what I would do. And I said, well, interesting. Let's describe those a little bit further. I said, tell me about how you would teach. He goes, ah, that's just the problem. Now, here we just did. As soon as he said that's the problem, he switched from imagineer to engineer. He started figuring out how he's going to teach now. And he started thinking about how often he has to be on the road and all that, which, by the way, at the time, he was speaking 50 weeks a year on the road, traveling. 50 weeks a year, in addition to the other 13 or whatever businesses he had going on. And I said, no, no, remember, your speaking career burned to the ground. <laughs> now you're basically starting over from scratch as a real estate teacher. How would you teach your students? And he goes, wow. He goes, well, this isn't possible, but, and I go, look, thank you, engineer, but we don't need to hear from you yet. I'm talking to the visionary. What would you do if you could do anything? And he goes, honestly, I would still teach, but I would only teach maybe three or four times a year. And all of them would come to my office here in North Carolina. And I was like, awesome. So we wrote that down and he started instantly thinking, how am I going to pull that off? And he didn't know. So then he stopped again. So I had to, I had to stop the conversation, re-get it going again. You know what I mean? But eventually he just blurted all these things out. I was like, okay, now we can build a business around this. So now we move on to step three and four. So if you remember, step one was get the vision out of your head. That's what we just did with Larry. Step two is know thyself and know thy team. So there's work that needs to be done there, which we may not have time to go over today. And then step three is, okay, where are you now? How does where you are right now look compared to this vision that you created? And for some of you, there's only little minor tweaks that need to be made. For some of you, it's major overhauls. And Larry was due for a pretty major overhaul. Now, he again, he was doing a lot of things right. So I'm not knocking Larry or his business at all. It just wasn't fulfilling him. And he was working his face off, right? And so it's like, okay, what needs to change if I, if I take a snapshot of what his business looks like today and I compare that to this new simple thing that he created? How does it look compared to that? And it was drastically different. So... We have to start to come up with a plan, which is, by the way, step number four, create the plan and implement. And I, here's what I'll tell you. Larry was in a position of some uncertainty, would probably be a great word to describe it, on how to make decisions and so forth before we got to that meeting. How did he feel when we were finished with this process, Joe? Do you, do you remember how he... Well, the re relief, just like yeah. a huge weight was lifted. He felt like it's actually possible. And when, when he figured out what he wanted, then we looked at his numbers and said, well, do you still need that? Can you cut that out? Do you need that person? Do you need this department? You know, and it, everything just became so much more clear. And it was a huge yeah. relief. You could, you could literally feel it, you know, in the room. I you could see his shoulders go down. He kind of started breathing again. You know, he wasn't so tense. And uh, he, he had been like that for a really long time. And what happened now, if you remember, so remember, Candace is the implementer in his office. And so Larry's usually the visionary, although he was having a hard time being a visionary because he kept switching back and forth to the engineer. But Candace usually implements all of these things. And so we had a problem at the meeting. If you remember, Joe and I and Ron were there to meet these Larry and Candace on a Thursday and Friday. And the problem was Candace was going out of town for a vacation that she was much needed and she was leaving Sunday night. So she wasn't going to be there the whole next week. So what did Larry do, Joe? Oh, he, well, she didn't think that he would be able to pull any of it off and do any of these things. And she was stressed out that he was going to, well, it, it turned out like he actually did. And, 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 and well, you, you tell a story better than I do. Well, I mean, he was so excited about where he was at now that he went in Monday. By Monday, all the new decisions were made and he made all the changes that he needed to make. And by the way, it didn't require firing everyone in his office. There was a couple people that had to go. They, they weren't pulling their weight, but Larry felt really connected to them. So he didn't want to let them go and all these things. But when he started to see this person doesn't even fit the vision of what I'm trying to accomplish here, it doesn't mean 
I don't love them, it means that they can't work for me anymore because they don't fit and they're not doing the job. And so he went in, he did have to let a couple people go, but the rest of the people, he just restructured a little bit, got them in the right roles, in the right bus, on the right seat. And he implemented the entire thing on Monday. The whole thing was implemented by the time Candace got back from vacation a week later. That doesn't mean they didn't have some growing problems in the, in the process. They had some new decisions that needed to be made. And with that came some new challenges. But the fact of the matter is everything changed in an afternoon. And his confidence went up, his sense of security went way up, his certainty went through the roof, and he was able to make decisions for the first time with authority that he hadn't been able to make in a long time. Well, he was also and I, I profitable say, too. Well, yeah. So six months from that, uh, his expenses went down. I don't remember the number, but it was more than six years a month. And so just imagine that if the only thing, and this was a guy who was already a pretty high income earner anyway. But if the only thing he did out of the meeting was reduce his expenses by a hundred grand a month, that's $1.2 million a year that if he only makes the same amount of money, but reduces expensive, he just made a $1.2 million raise. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, this is no small thing when, when, when you, here, here's what I'll tell you. If there's any time in your business where you're hesitating, making a decision, I will tell you why. Either you haven't consulted your business vision or your business vision is not crystal clear. And so if you've ever felt like that, that's why I'm saying get your bus to this event because that's what we're doing for three full days. My goal is to take you through the process. I'm going to do a three-step process, rinse and repeat over and over. First thing we're going to do is I'm going to come out and I'm going to teach a module. Second thing I'm going to do, like Larry and Candace are going to be there. They're going to share exactly how they made these decisions. Second thing I'm going to do after I teach the module is I'm going to bring up the speaker that best represents how they pulled off that module that I just taught. And they're going to share their story. And then the third step of that is then now we're going to turn it into a workshop so that you guys in the room can do it exactly how we just taught and described it. And then I've got a slew of people there that have gone through the process. A lot of my leadership boardroom members are going to be there to help. I have volunteers coming out the yin-yang going to be there to help uh, other people in the audience who need to go through this. And we've got something really, really special going up. So they're going to be walking around helping you, but it's going to be a workshop. So you're going to finish that little section one, then we're going to move on to section two and do the same thing. We're going to rinse and repeat that process about a dozen times with the dozen speakers that we have. And at the end of the third day, you walk out with your stuff done. Now you can implement so that you're not trying to do all of that and be the same person while you're doing it. That's the whole purpose of the event. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I really am. Um, I'm going to be there participating. I'm not just going to be um, hanging out in the back of the room, making fun of Sean and texting him. <laughs> but you can do that too, you know. I probably will, actually. <laughs> I know you Make will. Make sure your phone's not on you. Um, <laughs> and I'll be late too, by the way. Of course you will be, to everything. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be late, but that's all right. Don't wait for me. Uh, so I, this is really going to be good, guys. There's no, nobody else doing this right now. And this is going to be super important. It's not going to be just Sean up there teaching the whole time. It's going to be Sean teaching a little bit. Of hey, why you got to say that so harshly? Like, that would be a bad thing. That would be pretty bad. <laughs> All day for three days, you? That would drive me nuts, actually. <laughs> but it's going to be so cool because it's like breaking it up into sections. Sean's going to be teaching, going to get somebody up there talking about it. And then you're going to have an opportunity to actually implement what we just talked about, right? And so bring a couple, three, four pens with you, pencils, and <laughs> because you're going to be doing a lot of writing and thinking. And it's just, it's really good. You could do this virtually online, you know, break it up into course, but there's something special about coming yeah. to an event where you're setting aside the time, clearing the distractions, turning your phone off, and you're in a room and you're just like, all right. And it, this is really cool because, um, well, I've, I've done this before and every time I do it, I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. Or, yep. uh, that's a great idea. Or it's, it's always good to go back and like, look at your business, look at your life. Is it where you want it to be? And, and one thing I was thinking about as we were talking about this, it's not like you have to make a million dollars to be happy and to be successful. You know, well, you do if your expenses are 990. You know, yeah, which is also another aspect of vision. It's like some people just say, I want to make more and make more and make more. And as they make more, their expenses go up. That's what happened to me. 
It's like I was making more money than I ever thought possible when I started coaching 13 years ago. I didn't get to keep a lot of it. Yeah. And by the way, every month those expenses came in, whether or not I made that much money. So, you know, it was great on the months that I made money, but you you know how the real estate business is. You can go a month or two or three without doing a deal sometimes. Yeah. And when I go three months without doing a deal at three, four thousand dollars a month, which is what my expenses were, I'm now a hundred thousand in the hole. Mm-hmm. And so all that money I made four months ago sounds great, but it's gone. That was not in my vision, by the way. That was what I was taught that I had to put in place to have a business. And so you're right. You don't, most people don't need as much money as they thought they once did when their vision becomes crystal clear. And uh, we'll show you that as well. And I'm not putting limits on the amount of money that you can or should make. Make as much as you can. That's great. What I'm suggesting is don't alter your own business vision as a result of what you think is going to gain you the most money. When it fits these things I'm talking about, you'll make more than you ever thought possible and you'll actually enjoy the process. And you'll be doing it with people that you really enjoy being around versus taking on a customer, for example, that you can't stand taking on, but you feel like you have to, you need the dough. That sucks. And everybody's done it. And everybody usually learns from it. They do it too many times. But you know, my goal is to help you learn from all these mistakes that all 12 of these people have made so that you don't have to make the same ones. You come right out the gate. You know, if you've been in business for a long time, we're going to show you how to make the tweaks. If you're just starting out, we're going to show you how to build right from the start. That way you don't have to experience some of these things that we've experienced. When I say business vision, last thing, and then I didn't interrupt you so long. When I say business vision, even the students that I take on in my leadership boardroom groups, they go through a filter process and it's all based on my vision. I put up three columns on a board when I was doing my vision for who I wanted in my groups. And I said, okay, on the left column, it's gonna, I'm going to write down you know, people that I think would be awful to be in my groups. And in the middle, I'm going to write down people who would just be okay. You know, what, what characteristics would they have if they were just okay? Then on the right, I put who would be the people that I would love to have in my groups that I would probably coach even if they weren't paying me. That's how much I would love it. And when I built this, I only accepted people who were in that third category, people that I loved. My biggest criteria for that was I thought, you know, I do one-on-one sessions with students where they fly out and spend the day with me. And I thought, would I rather them stay at my home if I had the choice, if they were coming to town, or would I rather them get a hotel? And if I could answer, I would rather them get a hotel, they're not going to be in the third column because I, I'm only hanging out with them or helping them because they're paying me. So now I literally have a business where I get to hang out with people that I love. They're very close friends of mine. We go deep in their challenges, which is what I like. That may not be your vision, but that's what I like. I get to help them overcome these challenges. I get paid very, very well for doing it. And I love every minute of it. So you can have that too. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about which deals to go after, which one. You have a vision of what deals you want to go after. But all of us, when we do marketing for deals, for example, you get a deal and you go, "Eh, I don't really want to do this, but I'm slow right now. And that's what you do. You take on the crappy deal. You wish you never take it on. You break even at it at best, or maybe even lose a little money. And all the time that you wasted on that is time that you could have been spending on what you loved. But if you don't have that criteria nailed down, it ain't going to happen. Because business owners don't know how to say no. They All they do is say yes to opportunity. They don't know how to say no. So your vision helps you say no to the things that don't fit. Oh, that's so good. I'm thinking of that book, The Pumpkin Plan, too. And uh, that might that would be a good book if you're coming to this event to maybe read in advance. The whole idea of simplifying everything. Most of us, we're taking on way too much. We need to prune away and cut away at the things that... That's what you're going to find out at this workshop. You know, it's not... You're not going to come here thinking, all right, what can I add on to my life? It's going to be mainly just like, what can I cut off? What can help me focus on where I'm most profitable, where I enjoy my business the most? It's going to be good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Vision Workshop, businessvisionworkshop.com. Vision. Can I add one comment to that? That's, that is partially true. However, some people have not said yes to certain things because of the expectation of their peers. And what I mean by that is I've coached a lot of people that wanted to go in a certain direction, but their spouse or their business partner or their parents told them that's a stupid idea. And it really is their vision. And it really is something that could be profitable for them, but they're listening to the advice of other people. And so they never add that thing that they really want to do because they're scared, uh, scared of losing love from people they care about or scared of being judged or scared that it won't work or whatever else. So it is appropriate to say yes to the things that fit. But in doing so, you know, Larry was saying yes to everything. That's why he had 14 businesses going on, right? So there, there's a good thing about saying yes to the things that fit, but it's also equally, if not more powerful, saying no to the things that don't so that you have space for the things that are a, a heck yeah. That's good. Yeah, excellent. 
By the way, here, Tom posted this on Facebook. Sean, I love that black <laughs> area, area, Les Paul. Is it's my a, guitar wall. Is that yeah. is that the real guitar you have up there? That is actually a Guild Bluesbird, which I bought from my guitar hero, a guy who used to play for the band The Refreshments years ago. But it looks like a Les Paul, but it's it's a Guild. That's so cool. funny. I was thinking, Sean has a cool background in his office. Look at mine. It's a mess. I got books. <laughs> you got guitars. Well, here. Perfect idea, man. This was all a part of my vision that I that I wrote down when I wrote all this down. I didn't have any of this stuff, but one of my visions, aspects of my vision, I should say, is I have a place in my home where once a month we could have uh, uh, literally a, an open mic night at my house. So we do this about once every four six weeks at my house, and we have like 20, 30 professional musicians from all around St. Louis, and we have open mic night here at my home. It's an absolute blast. When I wrote that down, I didn't have any of this, stuff, nor did I know how I was going to get it. But now all the musicians come over, they plug in all my gear. I've got really high-end boutique amps and drums and full PA system here it sounds like a bar in here when we're playing. But uh, you've been over here for it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, and I'm that was something neighbor. I wrote down and didn't think it was possible. And guess what? Just a couple years later, we made it happen. I'm I'm friends with your neighbors as well. And uh, Oh, yeah. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Brian said, hey, this is great stuff. Will there be show notes posted on YouTube? Yes. So this will be on YouTube. Uh, you can go to realestateinvestingmastery.com as well to get a transcript of this, the show notes. And all the links that we talked about. Um, for those of you, right, real quick, for those of you that end up coming to the workshop, we have a, a nice big manual that we're going to be providing everybody, and we're going to be doing all of our work right there in the manual. So you won't really, you won't really need to bring anything with you at all, but uh, but your stuff. Now, here, here's one more thing, interesting, real quick, because I was just talking to a lady about this two days ago, and she said, uh, "This sounds like the most amazing thing. Like, I want to be a part of this really bad." Oh, I don't know how I'm going to get somebody to watch my kids. And I was like, look what you're doing right now. You went from visionary to engineer, imaginary to engineer in two seconds. I said, look, you don't need to decide how that's going to happen yet. Here's what you do first. Just a vision for what you want comes first. If you say, because I guarantee, I told her, I said, look, if uh, she lived in Ohio too, by the way, I said, I guarantee if you had to leave your kids for three days to go pick up a check from the lottery winnings for $10 million, but you had to leave for three days. Would you do it? She goes, yeah. I said, how would you do that? You have kids at home. She said, figure out a way. And I said, that's the same way it is with everything. If you want something bad enough, if your vision says it, you will figure out the way. Now, I'm not suggesting that my event is that. I just told her, I said, look, answer the question first. Do I want to come or do I not? If you want to come, you will figure out the way after you've made the decision. But when you're trying to decide how you're going to pull it off while you're making the decision, that's where the fuzziness comes from. That's what Larry was struggling with. He couldn't make a decision because I don't know how I'm going to pull off the decision. Make the decision first. The way will come. Yeah. Very good. Cool. I'm going to be there. I'm looking forward to this event. How much does it cost, by the way? Business Vision Workshop. $4 million. $4 no, million? Dollars. Uh, I got a price to where two people can come for 250 bucks each. You're not going to find a cheaper event than this. We're not pitching the entire time. I don't have selling speakers. I kept it as low as I possibly could keep it to get people to eliminate any excuses to come. So it's it's really one ticket for $397 and you can get two tickets at 100 bucks. So it's 497 for two people. Split that up between the two of you. It's 50 each. And here's a, it, it will fill up. It will sell oh, out. for sure. You've already, you've already sold half of it, more than half, right? Seats 400. I already have 200 seats sold and none of my marketing hits until tomorrow. So to give you an idea, it will sell out. Yet. This podcast is just going out, but you're also speaking at another two or three live events. Yes. And you I'm actually really worried about this right now because I've never, uh, I've never sold one out this fast before, which means that there's definitely a need for this bit resonating with people. So it will sell out for sure. If you're, if you, uh, if you want to do it, if not, you're probably not going to be able to do it. So. Yep. Cool. Businessvisionworkshop.com. Go check it out. Hey, thanks, Sean. I'm glad. Thanks, man. I'm glad you were able to come here and do this podcast with me. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for letting me share, man. Most of the time. <laughs> I love you in spite of your mean jokes to me. Oh, come on. This is that's nothing compared to what you do to me. Oh man. Yeah. All right. Just so, so you guys know, when uh when Joe goes out of town before I had really fast internet because we live out in the country, I used to go to Joe's office and I used to use his office while he was out of town. So I always would make jokes about what I did to his chair while he was gone. Well, let's just say like I, I <laughs> sprayed my chair down with bleach 
uh, after he told me that. I took it outside with a power washer. <laughs> it still smells funny. Oh my gosh. Too All much. Right. Gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Businessvisionworkshop.com. Yes. Thanks, Sean. Bye bye. Thanks, man.